0: Welcome to another episode of the Hourglass Investing Podcast, a series deep diving into businesses and investment opportunities. I'm your host, Jared Leary, and today's episode will be a peep inside my own portfolio looking at the trade desk, one of the more expensive and risky assets that I own, but with a lot of potential growth ahead. Hello, hello. Coming back at you for episode number 20 of the Hourglass Investing Podcast and a peep into my portfolio at the Trade Desk, ticker TTD on the NASDAQ. I really, really love this company and I've been sort of saving it as a big one. And episode 20 felt like a bit of a landmark episode to drop it. So, just as an overview before we get into the meat of things here, the Trade Desk sits at about a $35 billion market cap pulled in just over $1.8 billion in revenues, and netted $153 million on trailing 12-month figures. Now that puts this company at an electric 19 times sales with a price-to-earnings ratio of 230x. So definitely expensive, and because of that, it is a pretty small position in my portfolio overall, just to sort of balance out that valuation risk but it is really, really high quality of growth that investors are paying up for, so potentially very worth the price tag. I mean, we're talking about a fantastic balance sheet, which I will get into a little more later. A really great business model and super, especially a fantastic CEO in Jeff Green. Not to mention some absolutely ridiculous returns for the early shareholders who've seen this company grow from a billion dollar market cap to today's 35 billion dollar and that's about a 55% CAGR since 2016 for those lucky ducks. And I don't think the growth is really behind them at all either, they're just starting to tap this market. Now, maybe we're not looking at a 55% CAGR going forward, just seeing how it is already a $35 billion company, but I really think the potential for this company is just starting to get tapped. And that's why I own it, despite it being definitely one of the larger and for sure, expensive companies in my mostly small cap-focused portfolio. But I'm going to get into all of those things, the balance sheet, valuation, the CEO, Jeff Green. I'll get into all of that a little bit later. First, I want to get into actually what it is that the Trade Desk does, because this definitely isn't your run-of-the-mill retail company or something, not by any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, normally I get a lot more into the fine grain in these podcast episodes, like Valuation, risks to share performance, and some of the growth potential and moat that a company has. But I'll just forewarn you now. I think most of this episode is actually going to be devoted just towards the Trade Desk's business model and what they do, because it is pretty involved. Maybe what I'll do at some point is release a part two to get deeper into the finer points, but it's really important to focus on what they do just to set that context. And if I were to really pare it down, what they do, like, I'm talking to a five-year-old kind of simplicity, I'd say that the Trade Desk does online advertising, which is totally true. But the big advertisers in this space currently are obviously companies like Meta and Google, and I think it's important to peel back the layers on this business model just a bit more and get sort of a sense of how the Trade Desk differentiates from these obviously much, much bigger players. It's definitely central to the thesis on this company is just that ability to kind of worm their way into the space, disrupt the current model a bit by providing what I think and what they think and what hopefully a lot of advertisers think is a better model to advertising than the walled garden approach, i.e. meta and Google-like companies. And with these companies, the walled gardens, basically how it works if you're an advertiser is you set a budget for ads that you want to run through one of these companies, and that's essentially it. From there, your ads will run exclusively through that platform. So if we pick on Meta here for a second. From there, your ads are going to run exclusively through that platform. So if we pick on Meta here for a second, and maybe just as an example, I'm advertising Hourglass investing through Meta. Well, I set a budget, and then Meta is going to run ads through the Meta platform. So Instagram, Facebook, Threads showing my ad to people that it believes would be interested in Hourglass investing. Maybe if they watched a clip on personal finance at some point, they'd get shown the ad. And that will pretty much continue like that until I've run through my ad budget. But with the Trade Desk, instead what you get is a programmatic advertising platform. So it's an ad tech capacity, it's not actually running ads, but it works off a completely different system. And maybe the biggest difference is that You know, if we're continuing on with the example of advertising hourglass investing here, my ads aren't run through the walled gardens. So that means they can actually go on several different platforms rather than being restricted to just to continue with Meta, Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. And this pretty much works on an auction system. So I'll run you through a scenario here. And by the way, this is blatantly plagiarized from the super helpful videos that the Trade Desk has on YouTube. Which basically just runs people through why programmatic advertising is better for advertisers. I'll throw that in the show notes on the episode. Definitely recommend checking out the whole series that they put out if you're interested at all in this company, because there is a lot that I won't be able to get into today. So, basically, imagine this scenario a web page is loading. Like I've just clicked on a web page, it's loading up. As that's happening, a request for ads goes out to an ad exchange which then sends that request to demand side platforms or DSPs, which is what the trade desk is and these basically represent the advertisers themselves. Once that request is received by the DSP, they run a bidding system among advertisers with relevant content to that webpage. And very importantly in this step, they sift through a ton of data to see what that ad is worth to advertisers based on how it's being shown to whom it's being shown and where it's being shown, just to make sure that they're getting relevant content. So let's say a webpage like Investopedia is loading. I, as an advertiser for Hourglass Investing, know that that is relevant content and that whoever is loading that page is interested in investing. So I may choose to bid on this ad. The trade desk would essentially tell me how much that ad could be worth and then I would make a bid accordingly. The highest bid goes back to the ad exchange, and then that goes through to fill the ad space on the web page as it's loading. Now, this isn't manual, of course. I don't have to sit there all day making bids on ads or anything. This is entirely an automated process, and really it has to be because that entire auction system and ad fill happens in about a tenth of a second. I mean, this needs to happen as that web page is loading, so very, very fast. And how that works is the trade desk unsurprisingly, uses an AI program called Koa to automate bidding for advertisers. And Koa basically helps to adjust bids based on 10 dimensions on up to 3 KPIs that are directly specific to the customer's ad campaign. And the end result of this entire process is actually very helpful to everyone involved. So me, as an advertiser for Hourglass, can see and control exactly who is seeing my ads and where they're seeing them and I can see exact returns on ad spend figures, which are some benefits that I definitely wouldn't get if I was going through a walled garden approach like Facebook. Then for ad publishers, because this bidding process is real time and they don't have to ensure that ad spaces are filled before they release content, they can make sure that they completely fill their ad inventory, and that means maximum returns on ad spaces and no empty ad spaces, which is just lost opportunity. Then finally for consumers, I mean, obviously we don't love seeing ads, but a pretty big part of why we don't love seeing ads is actually to do with the fact that we don't often see targeted ads. We're seeing some weird ass stuff that we would never be interested in. Like the amount of times that I get ads for kitchen knives is absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. I've never once bought or looked for kitchen knives. I don't even like cooking. But for some reason, Instagram 10 times a day wants to tell me about some revolutionary Japanese-crafted kitchen knife that's going to change my life. It, it drives me up a freaking wall. Obviously, if I have to see ads at all, and I do because the internet runs off advertising, then seeing a targeted ad is definitely the way to go. There's a stat out there that like 71% of consumers are actually fine with ads if it's relevant content to themselves and I definitely fall into that camp myself. And basically because of the bidding system and that real-time aspect that the trade desk runs, it ensures content that consumers are seeing is relevant to them. So again, spinning back to the hourglass example here, if I run an ad through Meta and it sends my ad to someone who clicked on a personal finance topic, because it falls under the general categories of business and finance or whatever, they are going to see my ad, but they may not actually be interested in investing. They may already have an asset manager and we're just looking at an article on life insurance or something. So that's not super relevant content to them and they may not give a rat's ass about hourglass and I've just wasted my marketing dollars. On the other hand, with the trade desk, I can see maybe that personal finance stuff isn't exactly what I want to be targeting And I could set my KPIs on Koa to be more oriented towards self-directed investors. All of a sudden, I'm automatically sifted through all that stuff that isn't getting me or the consumer what we want. And instead, the ads are getting sent towards sites like Investopedia, which typically attracts more self-directed investors. Then the consumer is seeing something that's relevant to them. They're more likely to click through and see what I'm all about. And I haven't wasted my ad dollars. It's a win-win platform that provides a ton of different tools to advertisers and really enables them to make the most of their products or value propositions, I guess I should say, without worrying about so many of the nitpicky parts of marketing. There's an excellent section in Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, which can't recommend it enough, where he talks about how even the best engineers and products will get nowhere if they can't sell their products. And I think the Trade Desk really takes a step in the direction of minimizing that barrier to allow effective advertising. So in my opinion, that really sets the Trade Desk apart from other advertisers. And it's a system that I really see taking over more and more as time goes on. And actually right now is a really, really great time for adoption of this sort of platform because, you know, in the economy at the moment... Balance sheets are a little tighter. There's more pressure on marketing departments to justify ad spend. And the trade desk allows these departments to find exact returns on ad spend figures and deliver those to their managers. And not just return on ad spend either. There's a ton of very, very granular reporting features that the trade desk can offer. And that helps to set them apart from the walled gardens and other less well rounded DSPs. So, according to the company's investor presentation, at least, They can provide very exact figures for 200 performance measures across more than 300 measurable variables. Stuff like total seconds in view, conversion touches, total audible seconds. It's a lot of marketing talk, but basically stuff that delivers a lot of analytical tools to marketing departments, and that helps them further ensure that their marketing dollars are going the full mile quick break here from the episode to shamelessly self-plug the other parts of hourglass investing. If you're enjoying the episodes and you want to get in on some more of the action, I've got good news for you. On top of these Tuesday podcast episodes, I also do weekly newsletters that have recommended reads, weekly watchlist stocks, investing tidbits, and highlight other investor articles and writers. Every two weeks, I also do company-specific research articles that get into a company's history, business model, balance sheet, and the investment potential. So if that all sounds good to you, head on over to my substack at Hourglass Investing, or check out my website for the full archive of material at hourglassnetwork.ca. I'll throw the links to both of those in the show notes for today's episode. Let's get back into it. So I think the capacity of the trade desk to deliver higher returns on ad spend deliver better analytics, and deliver ad spots across a variety of platforms instead of just the walled garden method, that's all going to help them move even further into this market, which, by the way, is absolutely massive. They estimate the total global ad spend to be around $830 billion, and there's an interesting tidbit within that market that I really wanna to touch on here. So approximately $165 billion of that total market spend Currently goes towards linear television, so satellite and cable and such. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the last few years, you are probably well aware that linear television is dying. It will not be with us much longer, and connected TV, streaming platforms, these are the new hoorah for customers. And that should be a huge benefit for the trade desk. Again, especially during the current environment, there's a ton of these streaming platforms that are trying to make the economics on these things at least make some sense to shareholders. You know, like Disney, for example, has had a ton of pressure to sort of turn things around on the streaming side and make that segment of their business profitable. And what are all of them going to do? Well, they're going to follow in Netflix's footsteps and they're going to start advertising. Every one of them, absolutely and 100%, if they haven't already, they're going to. I'd actually even be surprised if these streamers didn't lean even harder into that ad model going forward And that should move a lot of those $165 ad dollars away from linear television, which the Trade Desk as an online platform doesn't serve. Those will all get moved towards connected TV and, of course, towards the Trade Desk, which does serve connected TV. And this, I think, is a huge tailwind that, honestly, I, I think it's just starting. And it should help the Trade Desk for multiple years to come, let them grow even larger than that $35 billion market cap today. Totally awesome. By the way, side note here. I remember when I was doing my initial research onto this company several years ago now, actually, and I was watching one of the videos that the Trade Desk puts out where Jeff Green, the CEO, is talking about how the future of TV is ad funded. This was put out in like 2018 or 19, I think it was. And he totally hits the nail on the head where he's he's talking about Netflix's subscription model. And he says, you know, by the way, I don't think that model, that subscription model is going to last very long. I think they're going to turn towards an advertising model as well, as they lose that first mover advantage a little bit. And like, spot on. And that's exactly what happened. I think it was earlier this year, or maybe late last year, that Netflix announced they were moving into the ad model. And like, they've had a big success on that front too. So definitely paving the way for other streamers to go down that route. And Jeff Green obviously super right about that one. So already one of the big platforms that's using the Trade Desk to fill ad spaces is Roku TV to go along with a bunch of other great users like Spotify, Yahoo, LinkedIn, just to name a few. Now, I gotta be clear here, these companies aren't actually paying the Trade Desk. There's no revenues that come from these platforms. Spotify, just as an example here, is only part of the Trade Desk's network of platforms that have bought in, I guess you could say, to that DSP model and are using these approaches to advertising on their platforms, rather than building out their own walled gardens like Meta or Google have. So the result of having these partners, Spotify, LinkedIn, Yahoo, a oh, ton of others, is that I, as a customer of the Trade Desk, then have access to the ad spots on these platforms. And that's definitely a big part of the equation on the Trade Desk's success here. The more platforms they have on their side, the more value there is for customers. Like in this theoretical example of my self-advertising hourglass investing, you know, I now have access to spots on LinkedIn, on Yahoo, on Spotify, and that is awesome to me as a customer. And it's potentially a huge advantage for the trade desk over other DSPs as well, just to have that network of partners that enhances the value that customers get, just by having that wider range of options to display their ads on. So if another DSP has five partners in comparison to the Trade Desk's 20, just as an example, by the way, they actually have way more than that, then obviously the Trade Desk is going to be the better option to go with as a customer. And then, of course, there's the quality of those partners too, right? Like Spotify is a huge and global brand, so that's premium ad space for their customers. Same goes for LinkedIn, same goes for Yahoo, ESPN, all the other ones that they have. These are premium spaces that make the Trade Desk DSP extremely valuable to their customers. So again, they're not making money off these guys. Where the Trade Desk gets its money is from the advertisers themselves. And that's a model where they basically just skim off the top of the total advertising dollars being spent on ads. So the advertiser is committing dollars to the platforms themselves to use their ad spots, And the Trade Desk just takes a portion of that as a service fee for being the middleman. But even though they're not getting the dollars directly from these platforms, the relationship that the Trade Desk builds with them is super, super important to the thesis and potentially beneficial for both parties. So I'll keep picking on Spotify here. They obviously have ad spots on all of the podcasts as well as through the music queues for free subscribers and how they benefit is getting a pretty huge and diverse range of ads on their platform. And that's helpful because they have a pretty huge and diverse range of podcasts and niches on the platform that they want to create targeted ads for. Basically because targeted ads are more likely to generate returns for their advertisers, and then that makes Spotify a more valuable platform to advertise on. It also has a more direct benefit for Spotify too as it makes sure that all of their ad spots are filled and they're getting maximized revenues on their ad model. Then it benefits the trade desk for the reasons I just touched on. The more platforms and the more premium platforms that they have in their network, the more advertisers want to use the trade desk as their DSP of choice. Then as more people want to advertise with the trade desk, more platforms want the Trade Desk to be filling their ad spots for them and getting lots of advertisers on board through them. So it's a pretty cool flywheel that, you know, if the Trade Desk can pull it off, it's going to lead to some pretty solid moat and probably towards them growing into a leadership position that would be very, very difficult for other DSPs to disrupt. Now, I just want to talk very briefly about Jeff Green here, As I said, he's definitely central to my thesis in this company. I love him, he's one of my favorite CEOs in the business world, and you know I have a soft spot for the founder-led businesses. So he started off his career in Microsoft uh, before he left to build one of the first ever DSPs, which he called Ad ECN, and he later sold that back to Microsoft and became the COO of that division. I guess he didn't love working at Microsoft, though, because he left just two years later in 2009, and he co-founded the Trade Desk to do an even better job of it all over again. And this time, he was more focused on a DSP that was more involved with ad exchanges themselves, which is that middle person, basically, in that whole auction system that I described. So he founded that with another guy from Microsoft named Dave Pickles, who absolutely gets brownie points here for having an awesome name. And the rest, you know, is history. They came public in 2016. They've grown over 2000% since then. And Jeff Green is very much the aligned CEO that you want to see in a company that you own. He owns around 10% of the total company, so very aligned. He's a ridiculously smart guy that has super nerdy charisma that I love. And overall, I'm just a big fan of this guy, if you couldn't tell. Uh, He does get ridiculously well paid. Uh, This is one of the concerns. He was the top paid executive in 2021 at $835 million, which is like very expensive for a company doing $1.8 billion in revs, but I think overall worth the money to keep this guy at the helm. He's been in this industry a long time. He's been one of the main pioneers in making programmatic advertising catch on. And I think with where this company has the potential to go, I believe we'll end up looking back at $835 million in salary as pennies on the dollar in the long term, but that's just my two cents. Okay guys, I will be perfectly honest, I said two things at the top of the episode that were false. I said I'd get into the balance sheet and the valuation later in the episode, that was not true, and I said I maybe, maybe would make a part two for the trade desk, also, not true. It took me way, way longer than I thought to get through all of the nitty gritty on the trade desk, and I still feel like I've barely scratched the surface. So, I'll amend those statements. I will say I'll definitely make a part two for the trade desk, and in that episode, I'll be able to get a little bit more into the offense and defense, valuation, the balance sheet, and the potential risks for this company. It's a really, really exciting name and one that I have a lot of conviction in. So, I want to do it right, and I think splitting it into two is actually going to be the best way for me to do that. So, expect that out next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions on the trade desk that you want me to cover in part two, I'd love to hear from you. As always, you can find me at my email or on Twitter slash X. I'll throw both of those in the show notes on the episode. So, shoot me a quick message if you have any questions or comments at all. Anyways, we'll call it an episode here. See you back here next week for part two. Happy investing, folks. All right, that's all for this episode of the Hourglass Investing Podcast. I hope you enjoyed part one of the Trade Desk and that maybe I helped to shed a little light on what it is because it's definitely an intricate business that requires a bit more explanation than the normal. If you got anything at all out of today's explanation that wasn't just falling asleep, uh, then I would super appreciate a quick rating on the show, takes about 30 seconds and does a lot to help me out, get a little bit more visibility on the show, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Someone gave me a nice shout out last week and I got a ton of new followers on the podcast from it. That makes me ridiculously warm and fuzzy inside. So if you want to contribute to making my day a bit better then a rating or a share would be amazing. Cheers, guys. I'll see you next week. Quick disclaimer here, folks. I'm not a certified financial planner, analyst, accountant, or anything else to do with finance except a huge nerd. So please, please don't take anything on this show as investment advice. It's all for entertainment and education purposes. Please speak with a registered professional before making any investment decisions and back up everything you hear with your own research. Thanks.